Hi guys, today we have a very special person on our podcast on the Rise of Entrepreneur, somebody who I have been following for over 15 years, somebody that has shown me a way, somebody who gave me belief when I didn't have belief, who has shown me that business is the way to go. This gentleman has built a company in over 20 different countries, have made millions and helped help people make millions of dollars. My friend and my mentor, Nick Sarnicola. Hey, what's up with you? Nick, thank you so much. What's up with these pants, bro? Good or bad? They're great. (laughs) Thank you. I'm jealous. Thank you. You I I saw you like shirts like that too. I do. I I like color. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I love your attitude. You know, you talk about enthusiasm. As soon as I went downstairs, you know, I greeted you. It's like the whole room light up. You just, you know, it's a dark room downstairs. But as soon as you got up, you have this enthusiasm about you, the energy. You know, I really appreciate you being here, giving me your time, giving me your experience and knowledge to be able to share with our audience on how to become a better entrepreneur. Well, I, I'm, uh, I've always been impressed with your tenaciousness, um, you. your willingness to still learn and grow, even though you become more and more successful uh, each year in, in your path. Thank you. You know, you still stay so humble and hungry to, to learn and grow. And uh, one of my first mentors was uh, John Wooden. Mm. Well, you know, John, we met in 2007. So maybe I was, I was probably 10 years in. Um, so, but, but in terms of direct mentors that were people that were super famous, right? Right. Was, um, was John Wooden. And when you look at the, what's called the pyramid of success, yep. it's kind of aging out now. But, you know, when I was in school, it was hung in every locker room, right? Yeah. And the two cornerstones of success are industriousness, hard work, yep. and enthusiasm. Okay. And it's like his literal statement was, you cannot have any success without the two cornerstones, which are hard work and enthusiasm. So I always live by that, um, that I always got to show up with those two things. How do you stay enthusiastic during challenging times? Ooh, uh, systems, guardrails, right? So... Um, you ever gone bowling before? Yep. You know how they have those gutters? Exactly. Okay. My kids use those. Yeah. yeah. Or, or they put the, the, the bumpers up, exactly. right? Yeah, and yeah. that way you never go into the gutter. Right. Or when you're driving down uh, um, maybe a two-lane curvy road, mm-hmm. you put guardrails up. Yeah. So uh, you have to do that for your life. So how? what are your guardrails that if you fall off track, you bang off and you end back up in the mm-hmm. road? Um, so where, where can I see your goals? Where can I see your purpose statement? Where can I see your dreams? Where can I see your goal card? Where can I see anything that's in my whole house is designed for inspiration or guardrails, pictures, quotes, photos, the whole thing is designed for inspiration. Wow. So basically when you feel down, right back in the day, I don't know if you remember the training was get a blue index card. Put it in your car, put it in your office, put it in front of you, so that way you can remind yourself of your purpose and your why. So that way when you want to quit, you know exactly what sure. you need to do. You call it desperate why. Desperate why. Right. I don't think a why, like I think people, why has, what's your why had become um, a little bit cliche. Yeah. And it, there's like a layer deeper to that. It's like the why that, that moves you out of pure desperation for joy or pain, right? To get mm-hmm. out of pain or to receive joy. Uh, and, and for me, my desperate why to become successful at an early age was my insane fear of mediocrity, right? Wow. So because I was, you and I have very different upbringings. Like yeah. I have so much admiration, respect for what you had to overcome to be sitting here right now. And everyone that doesn't know the story, you should dig into the story. Uh, in fact, I just uh, was on Nick Santanastasso's podcast. Yeah. 
three hours ago. Oh wow! Right, and for those who don't know, you know, he obviously has you know huge physical disabilities yep. compared to everyone else. Right, no legs, one arm, and the fact that he travels the world speaking as an opening or as an opener for Tony Robbins. Right, right. The guy's just it's a badass. Insane. So you know what you went through, you know, of being born in a refugee camp, like that's not normal. Um, so your your sense of desperation to be successful is a bit innate. So for me, I grew up in vanilla, right? It was just blue collar, middle class, yep. everything was the same. And I was like, wow, this is how everyone dies at 22. We just don't bury them until they're 72, right? Ben Franklin's quote that then got requoted by Martin Luther King. Most men die at 20 or 25. We just don't bury them until they're 70 or 75, exactly. right? Yep. Yep. But that's middle America. It's a, and I was like, I gotta get the hell out of here. And anytime I thought about not making the next call or not doing the work or, or, or being lazy, I just asked myself, do you want to end up like everyone else did where you're from? I was like, hell no. Wow. Yeah. And where did you find that awareness? Because you grew up in a family, and I remember the story yeah. where you came from your first network marketing event. Yeah. You drove hours to get there and yeah. hours to come back. And your dad tells you, Stop, don't come in. We're not buying, you're not doing it. Yes, you're right? not doing. You know my story better than I know my story. <laughs> yeah, I studied that story. Very Holy much. Shit. Those stories got me <laughs> through my heart. Quoting my dad at age 18, which is this is 24 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> 25 years yeah. ago. Wow. wow, yeah. But you know what? When I was watching those stories and I was sitting in my car and I was broke, I was desperate, yeah. I didn't know what to do. You gave me that light, you gave me that hope that shit. Nick had two cent check. I just made $49. Killing it. You know what I mean? That's growth. Like if Nick did it, look at me, I can do better. Well, but I didn't do that. You did all that. You just, you happened to stumble across a story. I had no direct connection to any of your, your success results. But so. I, I think in a way, right, direct or indirect, yeah. right? We, we always look at people for inspiration, like you said, yeah. right? But your dad didn't have that mindset or did No, you? God, no. Um, my dad had a mindset of extremely hard work. Mm -hmm. Everyone in my family um, worked at the same factory, wow. you know, so it's not like they didn't work hard. In fact, I look at the work I've done in the last 25 years as an entrepreneur, and I don't think any of it is as hard as clocking in and clocking out of the factory and doing the same thing every single day, 10 hours a day for 40 years. Wow. To me, that's fucking hard, right? Right. Can say that? right. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> get ready. Um, but I never considered what I did to be quote unquote hard. But in terms of what you asked, you know, I think, um, I don't know how it happened. I watched movies, magazines, posters, and I just saw people that had lifestyles and had things and I saw places right. that we didn't have and we didn't go and we never talked about. Wow. And I was like, I'm gonna have those things. And that would translate to, I'm going to be rich one day. Right. And then you start to identify, how does one become rich? I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't rhyme. I can't act. I can't play an instrument. I'm not going to do anything illegal. Right. So that loves sports. Right. So my pathway was sports. I got a full ride to play baseball. And the first, I graduated high school, got the scholarship before I even started fall ball. Um, I was introduced to direct sales networking. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, there's two options now. Right, right. Sports and this little weird business that apparently you get rich at. Right. Now, how did you believe it? Like, a lot of people say it's too good to be true, right? Yeah. And there was a very negative, you know, connotation towards network marketing. Yeah. They called it pyramid scheme. And then you went and you said, you know what, I'm going to do a show that's called the pyramid thing. Yeah. Right. You, you challenged the whole yeah. world to show that it works, that you can go out there and make money. 
But how did you believe at that point at such a young age that this is what you wanted to do and this is going to yeah. give you the life that you desire? Uh, there are two questions there. The yeah. first one is, you know, people, money is an emotionally charged topic. It's so weird to me. People go to the gym, sorry, people buy gym memberships yeah. all the time and then 90% don't show up 30 days later. But they're not like, oh, the gym equipment doesn't work. Right. It's, you didn't show up. Yeah. You didn't work. Right. So they're logical enough to make that deduction. They'll use other excuses. Oh, yeah. you know, I'm just so busy and I'm just so this. So they'll make excuses as why the gym isn't working for them. Right. But when it comes to something that's financially driven, there has there's such an emotional charge around it. I mean, people that have a mindset of middle class or a broke mindset, man, there's always this, this separation of why something works and successful financially and why it will never be from them. And well, that's, they're just hardwired that way, usually from their parents or their grandparents. Mm -hmm. So I never, you know, I, I never took the advice of people that said, well, oh, that doesn't work or these are this, or, these are that. I just said, okay, well, it works for those people. Right. So if it worked for those five people, you're just one of the five people it didn't work for, right? Okay. But, so what's the difference? Right. So I don't know if I was just lucky enough to be gifted with a little bit of, um, pragmaticism is that the right word i'm pragmatic yeah so uh, being pragmatic i'm like all right well let me do some math okay the guy that did the presentation well you know he's the regional manager for lexus you you make 40 grand a year you say it doesn't work he's got the job i'm supposed to go get if i'm lucky right if i'm right. lucky right and i get my degree and i'm great at sales and marketing maybe i can get a job at lexus right he's the regional or the district. Yeah. Let me see. He's, made, he's making 150 grand a year, 200 grand. He's rich to me. Exactly. He says yes. You're broke. You say no. Huh. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that that, that's how I was able to make pragmatic decisions. Right. But now here's the second part. People have a hard time separating not only the emotion of money, but the emotion of love. Hey, dad, I love you. Right. You're still broke. Right. Hey, mom, I love you. You work 12 hours a week, <laughs> right? right? There's no, you guys cannot advise me on anything financially related. My dad can advise me on grinding. Right. He, can, he can advise me on values. My mom can advise me on how to be the best mom ever. Right. They can't advise me on money, right. right? So that was the first question you asked. I actually yeah. forgot the second one at the end. Just to kind of piggyback yeah. on that, one of my mentors said to me, he said, more dreams are stolen by the people that love you than they don't. Amen. Amen. And, you know, we dove into a network marketing conversation. I want to say to everybody, I want to make this about general entrepreneurship. Yes. 100%. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what you choose to do. If it has to do with the fact that it's business related, it's financial related, it has a lot of risk, people that want to avoid risk and people that are afraid that live in that little box, yep. they're going to do everything they can to stop you from doing it because they think they're protecting you. Yes. 100%. You know, the second question, I'm going to let you answer and then I'm going to ask you another question. I have so many questions. So you remember the second question? I don't question? remember the second okay. question. The, 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 the second question was, how did you, right? Everybody's saying no to yeah. you, right? Your dad's saying no to you, but you, you said you were programmatic and you were able to calculate the risk and say, well, the guy that says yes, this guy says no. But then how did you stick to it? How did you know that this was going to be for you? I never, ever, ever doubted that I was going to be extremely successful one day financially. Never doubted it once. Um, so I never confused the uh, the path with the destination. Mm. Like, okay, this is just part of the path. Failure is part of the path. 
Uh, losing is part of the path. Wrong decisions is part of the path. I never confused that with, so there, I never said, so therefore I'm never going to make it. Now the destination is the destination, right? Like well, this is where we're going. Yeah. You know, how we fucking get there. Like Doesn't this is where yet. we're going. Right. Um, so, you know, I had the pure belief that I was always going to make it. And there was never a doubt that there was never a point of I'm going to quit or not try. Never crossed my mind once. It was a matter of how, 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 which path, what do I got to do? And if you think about think and grow rich mm-hmm. and you really boil it down to what is think and grow rich? It's really just three things over and over and over again, every story. Set a goal, uh, 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 um, create your strategies, mm-hmm. take massive action. And the fourth part would be don't quit, change the strategy, take massive action. Don't quit, change the strategy, take massive action. Until it works. You don't give, the goal doesn't change. Right. The dream doesn't change. It's just you fucking do that right. and, until, until, you don't, uh, until you die or until it happens. Right. But um, you know, what a lot of people do is they confuse changing strategy for just, um, you know, I'm going to, well, I'm going to quit this lane and try another lane and quit this lane. I think over life, a lifetime that makes sense, but you can't quit, keep quit, you can't keep quitting a strategy, um, of, of, um, an industry you're in because it's not working right away. Right. Because right. there's a mastery matters. Right. A lot of people think the grass is green on the other side, yeah. but the grass is green where you water it. Mastery matters, right? Okay, well, I tried network marketing, it didn't work, so therefore I'm gonna try affiliate marketing, that didn't work, so therefore I'm gonna try becoming an influencer, okay, that didn't work, so therefore I'm gonna try. No, that's not what I mean by change the strategy. I mean change the strategy inside of that vertical. Change the strategy inside that vertical again, change the strategy inside that vertical again, change the strategy inside that vertical again. Get some mastery. And then after you get mastery, if you don't love it, because it will work, everything works when you have mastery, then if you don't love it, mm-hmm. then you might change verticals out of pur- out of purpose, passion, and love. Understood. Understood. Now, do you think people settle for average life because they don't know how to change that strategy? Or because no. it has to do with their belief system? 100% belief system. 100%, 100% belief system. Right. Uh, people settle for an average life because the people around them settle for an average life. Right. Full stop. And the TV they watch is meant to keep them settling for an average life and the shows they watch and but all the people they're watching don't have an average life. Right. The director, the producer, the actor, the athlete, right. they have fucking epic lives. Right. Even the episode they're watching, the hero that's on that TV show, they want to be that hero, yeah. but they're stuck watching that show being comfortable and complacent. So like if you're sitting there watching, you are not creating. You're not you're not providing value. Wow. Now, you know, I, I sit there and watch uh, for, for some situations out of joy. Right. Um, but that's few and far between. But usually I'm watching for growth. Right. But I might watch for joy. Right. There's a 80-20 rule. Yeah. Education, entertainment. But I, I rarely watched for joy when I was trying to, to become successful. Right. Now, after becoming successful, I might do that more often. Of course. That makes sense. Now, I have a lot of young people in my company, okay. right? We're talking about 18 to 32, right? And our model is the people come in and it's an agent model. They're entrepreneurs. They work for themselves. They get to grow and build their organization, their teams, and branch out and have their own franchise. Um, a lot of people I talk to, they come from a household where self-belief, right, is not there, where constantly there's self-doubt, self-sabotage. Their self-conception is at lowest possible point. They're fighting the demons. They're fighting the urge to break out the average, but then eventually they go back in it and they see their demons. They go back to their old habits. How does one change from going back to being average? I left 
<laughs> That's that easy. I just left. Wow. I left. I, I, I had, to, I knew, I knew I had to leave where I was if I was going to uh, make it and become something big and successful and, and pursue the dream. And once I left, I was like, I ain't ever fucking going back there out of failure. Wow. I, was, you, I will never, like anytime I thought about, do I, do I really want to fail and go back there mm-hmm. as, um, as somebody that couldn't make it and return home? No, not a chance. Is that ego? Is that pride? Probably pride. Yeah, I think it's probably pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, and I'm sure ego and pride share some commonalities in terms of their definition. Um, you know, so part of it was confidence and part of it was ego, part of it's pride. You know, I, I never wanted to show back up to that city as a failure. Was it to prove yourself right or to prove others wrong? Ooh, um, I think a little bit of both. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Which one do you think a person needs more to be able to kind of stick to it? In the short term, you can be driven by by negative or positive forces. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, the, the Jim Rohn used to say you can be driven out of out of disgust, right? Yeah. You just get so disgusted. Yeah. That's a negative driver. Right. right. Uh, or you're just so moved by an idea that's a positive driver. Right? right. So I think you can be absolutely moved by by either. But I think for the long term, mm-hmm. so that you can be moved by either to have success. Okay. But I think to have happiness joined with success, you have to be moved from something positive. Understood. Understood. Now, if somebody has this bad programming, yeah, right? They grew up in a family that says you never amount to anything in yep. life. You're going to be a loser. You're going to be just yep. like us. You're going to be working a job. You'll never touch a million dollars. You're crazy. Yeah. Right? If they were to work with you today, where would you start to be able to change their belief yep. system? So first of all, I th- this might be uh, I might get some pushback on this. Okay, I think that person has a better shot at success than a, the the middle class kid. Really? Yep. Okay. Because if you have any ounce of self worth self worth at all, you'll just say "fuck you." Watch this. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. But imagine where someone is a middle class and they're like, it's just more about risk mitigation. Mm. Just risk mitigation. So if you think of a scale of one to 10 and what you just referenced is kind of like that bad environment, yeah. shitty environment, the one, the two to three. Right. And there's this sense of desperation all the time, desperation to eat, desperation to breathe, to live, to have a roof over your head. Right. And as your kid, you're like, that will never happen to me. That will never happen to me. I'll never. But if you're a middle class and everything's just always okay and it's okay and everything's okay and the school's okay and that's okay. And you're almost, you're, it's almost like this, this, incubator of average, right? Incubator of average. Look at your story, right? right. You're, you're the, the ultimate story of, you know, from going from that level one environment to, right. to 10 or right. eight or nine, wherever you're at now. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, I would almost argue that, but I'll answer your question. <laughs> um, it's the same place I would start anyone that doesn't have the mindset of becoming a truly successful entrepreneur. So it's not going to be any different. Mm. Um, which is, they got to be inundated with re-education. In, they, they'll be inundated with a new environment. They'll be inundated with a new community. Um, all of their input has to be changed. Yes. You know, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Right. Right. Success in, success out. Right. Uh, it took them 20 years to get the belief systems they have. Right. It's going to take two years to change those belief systems, at least. And, and, 
if that is only combined with content and input and not action, it's going to take many more years. Understood. But if it's combined with input and action so they can see feedback, yep. oh my God, I thought this way and I did this and I got a result, right? For me, I call it raise the bar. Right. Beliefs determine your actions, actions determine your results. Well, now you have to start unraveling. What you're talking about is belief systems. You have to start unraveling belief systems. How's a belief created? A belief is created based on references. Mm. So you eat, everything that's ever happened in your life, you have a file in a cabinet for it up in here, right? Interesting. Okay. And each file has references. So take somebody named Bob, mm-hmm. right? The first time you meet Bob, you're like, huh, Bob's kind of a dick. So your, your, your brain goes, Bob. Dick. Makes a folder. <laughs> kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. And that's the one reference in the Bob folder, mm. right? Next time you meet Bob, he's still pretty dickish. Still dickish back in the folder. Right. Next time you meet Bob, Bob is a full-blown asshole in the folder, unchangeable, a year later, your sister lives in a different state. She calls the family. I fell in love. You can't wait for you to meet him. His name's Bob. Your brain immediately goes, he's an asshole. I don't yes. like him. Yes. It's a different Bob. Wow. And that's how the brain works, right? Wow. So your brain went immediately into that folder like, Bob equals asshole. Right. Now some guy named Bob that your sister wants to marry, you don't even know. You've already got this preconceived notion. Right. So you have to change all of those references out. With all new references, you have to create all new folders that, aka beliefs, that are going to trigger actions and get results. They say your mind works the best when it's open like a parachute. Sure. So what if you don't have an open mind? How do you open it? I mean, something has to happen to that person where they're willing to have an open mind. It's got to be some sort of, this goes back to references. We were talking about references. Yeah. There's two types of references. Uh, uh, references of, of uh, um, magnitude mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, um, references of multiplication, right? So one big reference that means a lot mm-hmm. or lots of little ones. Understood. Right? Okay. So they need something, they either have enough references of something mm. that finally make them go, okay, fine. Meaning I had to see a hundred people do it first. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Or instead of seeing a hundred people do it first, I saw my best friend do it. Yeah. And I only needed to see that one. Right. Because that's a reference of magnitude. Right, right. And that's that's literally how beliefs are created. You either have when you think when you think about what you're talking about, myself as a, and coming from middle class or somebody comes from poor, we both have really terrible references to money. Right. Right? Right. And that's happened over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And, over. and then there's a big fight in the family. Whoa, magnitude. Right. Now there's a big uh, we maybe you're poor and you got you got evicted. Magnitude. Mm-hmm. But now for that kid. Being evicted, they might say, I will never let this happen to my family. I will never let this happen to my children. Right. So it creates this huge belief of I have to do everything different Mm -hmm. than the way my family did it. Understood. Do you think people can truly change or they go through transitions? How do you define transition not as a change? (laughs) I'm going to share my perspective because I see people go and... They start doing business and they say, you know what, I'm going to study. I'm going to be a great leader. And they read John C. Maxwell, you know, chapter one character. And they read on that character and they learn how to have a good character and what it takes to be having a good character. But And they do that for six months. Yep. And, and, and then next thing you know, they get certain kind of, you know, pleasure or something happens and they forget about their character and they go back to being who they used to be. Would that be a transition or would that still be the change? 
Well, was it only once? Did they make a mistake? They keep doing it back uh, and forth. Um, well, if, if the changing is um, making the decision and sticking to it, even if, even if you have hiccups on the way. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. Um, so, and I would almost say transitioning is a similar word to changing in, in the way that you're using it. But, but falling back is not, wouldn't be classified as transition. That's just like, hey, they're getting distracted. They're falling backwards. They're getting pulled back in, right? Mm -hmm. Pulled back in. So do I believe that people uh, can change? Absolutely. Do I believe people can change and still make mistakes? Absolutely. Um, but if they continue to, to get pulled back in or sucked back in or fall back, then that's no longer a mistake. And right. they didn't really change. They're not committed to the change. Understood. If network marketing didn't exist, yeah. you're 17 years old, yeah. right? And let's just say you have no other option. The baseball is also not working out. What would you be doing? Well, what I think would have happened is I would have ended up uh, running around the minor leagues for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I would have been paid nothing, uh, but I would have been getting the fulfillment that I wanted. And at some point, you know, that would have been too much. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to believe at some point I would have learned what entrepreneurship is after high school. You know, you gotta, I didn't know what entrepreneurship was. So it wasn't like I was exposed to entrepreneurship at 12 or 14 right. or I got my first exposure at 18. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be the direct sales industry. Right. So we have to go off the basic assumption at some point I'm going to learn what entrepreneurship is right. and I'm going to go found my way out of sports. Right. Let's go. For people that say entrepreneurship is risky yep. and it's safer to have a job and yeah. it's safer to work for someone else because you don't have to sacrifice. Yeah. You don't have to take that risk. What advice could you give them? Well, I think let's be logical. It's unsafe to be an entrepreneur, but it's safer to work for the unsafe entrepreneur. Wow. So what are you worried about? Oh, the company could go out of business. The, we could lose, you know, the, the, we could lose everything. Um, you know, the, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I could lose my business. It might not work. It might have to bankrupt. It's safer just to work for that person who's going to bankrupt. Either way, you're at risk. <laughs> you're either working for the person that's at risk or you're taking the risk. Either way, you're at risk. Do you think it has to do because they don't trust themselves and they trust that person's maybe skill, qualifications more? Yeah, no, I think that, yeah, they, they definitely believe more in that person in the short term, right? So, um, but I also think, again, that all goes back to programming. If you're raised by entrepreneurs, chances are you're going to be an entrepreneur. Right. So I think it just goes back to what you saw when you were when you were growing up. Yeah. Now, there's also people I know that were raised by entrepreneurs that that saw all the failure of it. And like, I will never do that right. because I don't want to put my family what my family put me through. Right. You know, so I have three kids. You know, you have kids. Yep. As a parent. Right. And this is my personal you know, question to you. Do you kind of position your kids to be entrepreneurs or do you let them choose? Hell yes, I do. Yeah. But I, I, I educate them on entrepreneurship. I love that. Okay. So, which is, I don't push them to be entrepreneurs. Right. If they, if I was pushing them to, I'd be making them have their own business right now. Right. Right. I, I constantly educate them and I constantly say, whenever you're ready. Right. But no, I don't push them. Um, because they go to school seven hours a day, five days a week. That's 35 hours. That's four weeks. That's 140 hours. Mm -hmm. I'm a single dad. So I get them half the time, so that's 15 days. Let's say I get to educate them, not be with them. 
night, but truly educate them. I might get 30 minutes a day that I'll educate them. So that's 30 minutes a day times 15 days. I get seven and a half hours against the school system of 140. Wow. I got to be real good. Yes. All right. So, and I, I'm, and I, I, <laughs> and you are pretty good. I'm pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have a family curriculum that yeah. teaches them leadership, social impact. Uh, it teaches them, um, uh, goal setting versus dream building. It teaches them that's, that's all topics of non-traditional education, it teaches them financial literacy, it teaches them entrepreneurship. And, uh, I know I've got seven and a half hours a month to, to position what I want them to learn against 140 hours of school. That's amazing. Yeah. My kids are homeschooled. Yeah. Because so you got a lot more time. Too. Well, I don't. My wife does. She's, you know, at home. She's taking care of the empire at home. I take care of the businesses. And we both decided to teach our kids at home for reasons of we don't want them to be programmed by the school system. Yeah. We don't want them to open up the book and says, go get a job. And Johnny was working 30 hours and got paid $5. Yeah. What did he make? We yeah. want him to have a different view. On <laughs> Johnny broke. Yeah, Johnny is broke. There was that little video with the kids cracking up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the guy's name. He was like, Johnny broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like we are involved with a lot of homeschoolers, right? And you say you have a home curriculum. How does homeschool people get a hold of that if they uh, don't believe in the educational system? Yeah, so they I want to follow your Good question. Advice. So I started doing the family curriculum three years ago. And, you know, I, I'm a vocal educator so uh i never took the time to paper it understood but um the kids came up and spoke at an event um you know break the code with, with alex morton so grant cardone ed my yep alex and then i was one of the speakers there and my kids came up in front of everyone and started just rattling off financial literacy and all of a sudden they're six and nine and there was such a response that i said okay Maybe um, I have, I have a, my own nonprofit right. called NextGen. It teaches high school kids and college kids entrepreneurship. Yes. I was like, man, maybe I need to rush to paper this and, and make a real outline and give it to parents who want to then teach their kids, you know, these things at a younger age. That's so amazing. I'm, I'm, uh, and this is just within the last 45 days. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling that pressure. So I, I need to move it to an actual curriculum. Well, it seems like everything's aligning, right? I mean, I just asked you that. Yeah. Your kids spoke at the event. It seems like there's a true need for that. Yeah. Right? If right now you said you're a vocal, you know, yeah. coach, what's the first step of that curriculum? What is the first thing that you teach the kid? It came out as financial literacy was the first thing, right? Let's talk money. Money. The topic of money. Okay. Why? Because it's a topic that my parents never talked about. They avoided. And it's the only thing they were fought over. Mm. So I remember saying as a kid, I'm gonna, I will never fight about money. It will never be a thing that's fun. We'll just make more, whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to argue about it. Like it's not, it's not in my DNA. So I was like, I'm going to just talk about money then with them. And that just kind of turned into different topics. I don't know when I run the curriculum, if we'll go in that order. I think lesson one, which came out with my kids is like, Lesson two right. is going to be um, not education, non-traditional versus traditional. Love it. Okay. That's probably the, the the tip of the spear. Right. right. And it, but financial literacy just came out, and, and this whole outline of things from real estate to investing to like all of it. It's hilarious. They can right. rattle off all of it. Um, like my kids on the way to school, they have to start a business or tell me about what we're going to do with piece of property every day on the way to school. I love it. All right, look around. They're like, all right, we're going to do, um, I was like, what do you see right there? Land. What can we do that land? A six-year-old. We can put houses on it. We can put a business on it. What kind of business? I don't know, a gas station. And then 
uh, my older daughter can do math. So I, I start running like the OPEX and, and, you know, profit models with her. And I'm like, all right, your operating expenses are this. And it's like, what's your, what's your profit? She's like, all right, 150,000. Great. What can you do with the 150,000, Nicholas? Uh, invest it? Exactly. <laughs> We're, you know, and we just keep running yeah. it. But um, I would start with non-traditional education versus uh, traditional education. What they learn in, in school versus what you can learn outside of school. Right. So they know school is only one of two places where they learn. Okay. They, they know that. That's right. hardwired. Right. I learn from teachers, but I also learn from mentors. Right. Right. I learn from teachers, but I also learn from authors. I learn from teachers, but I also learn from coaches and speakers. You did, yeah. I believe Mark Twain said, don't let schooling interfere with your education, right? <laughs> it sounds like something he would say. Uh, it's a great quote. Yeah. It's a great quote. So it, it relates to this very good. Now, Nick, people always say, you know, at the top is lonely. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Why yeah. do you think it's lonely at the top? Yeah. You know, because um, there's very few people willing to do what you're willing to do. And there's very, very few people willing to sacrifice what you're willing to sacrifice. And the ones who are, it's not like you can hang out all the time because they're doing the same thing right. somewhere else. So if you're lucky to do it in a, in a scenario where you can have a couple partners maybe, um, you know, it, then you, you might be able to be kind of lonely together, working and grinding, working right. and grinding, working and grinding. But yeah, I think, I think it absolutely is a lonely uh, is a lonely space, so to speak, um, because you're constantly giving and pouring mm-hmm. into those that you want to develop and into what you want to create. And but who's giving and pouring into you? Right, right. You. I mean. That's the responsibility <laughs> of leadership, right? right? Right. And and you know, I remembered very early on. I teach it any chance I can in a leadership context, which is. You know, as you're, this is John C. Maxwell, mm-hmm. so you're going to know this. As your leadership increases, right. your responsibilities increase yeah. and your rights decrease, your freedoms decrease. Right. That's the cost of leadership. Leadership goes up, responsibilities increase by a magnitude, and your freedoms decrease. But don't yeah. people go into leadership, don't people go into entrepreneurship to have freedom? Um, well, leadership and entrepreneurship are different. Okay. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a huge difference. You can be an entrepreneur without being a leader. You could create a software that goes and does X, Y, and Z. Right. And, you know, you've made money, right? right? So um, leadership is a commitment to um, instill mindset and skill set into other people. Right. They're, and creating other you know, other humans of great mindset, great skill set. And then the next step is to create other leaders. Right. You know, and just because somebody is smart doesn't make them a leader. Just because they're successful doesn't make them a leader. Just because they can sell doesn't make them a leader. Just because they invented something doesn't make them a leader. Just because they're an entrepreneur doesn't make them a leader. A leader is something different. What makes a leader a leader? Um, the willingness to, to, to sacrifice for personal gain, um, to develop the skill than the mindset of others. An entrepreneur might not be in a hurry to develop the skill and mindset of others because they might be creating their competition. Right. right. So if I'm a business owner, wow, I'm trying to limit how much my, my staff knows, I'm trying to limit how much they grow. I'm trying to limit how much, 
most entrepreneurs because they can just go do what you're doing if they, you know, if they know that much. I'm gonna share something personal with you and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I don't have a non-compete with my agents. And the reason why I don't is because if you wanna leave, yep. like you said, earlier before the cameras turn on and everything you said, well, the reason people leave is because you gotta be a better leader. Yeah. And to me, it's like, well, if you want to leave, that means I'm not being a good leader. So why would I keep you in a relationship yep. of where you don't want to be in? I have the exact same thing. I have no non-compete. I have a non-solicitation. Okay. If you want to leave and go compete, you can. You just can't call all my people trying to exactly. get with you, right? Exactly. You can't call my contact. That's now backstopping. That's Correct. stealing already. Now, I'm going to take this a step further. Ready for this? Yeah. My current business model, I was so brokenhearted in the network marketing space when best friends would leave. And, and I had a lot of people that I did a lot for over and above anything that a normal network marketing leader would do financially uh, experiences, just trying to make their life special. Um, so I, I would, I became very heartbroken when certain individuals left and I said, okay, in this, this new, you know, business model, how do I avoid that when I know everyone's going to leave because everyone's going to leave because that's life. I'm, I'm older now, I'm more mature. Yeah. I mean, there's, they can find anything they want to do at the click of a button at any moment. Right. So, ah, I need to treat this like college sports. Hmm. Let's use uh, college sports. Let's use Coach Saban, Alabama, because they happen to win a lot. So um, if I'm Nick Saban, mm -hmm. I know I have one to four years with every person I recruit and in, but every year I have to create a national championship team knowing that I only have one to four years with each of my players. That's amazing. So your approach is completely different. Of course. So when, my, when people come to work with me now, it is in the first page. It's in the pre-interview. I am an incubator for leadership, influence, and sales. Wow. I'm going to incubate you out. If you still work for me in four years, you have fucking failed. Because if you still want to work for me and not go do something else, yep. then then you didn't show up. You didn't take advantage of everything you could have learned right. from me. Right. You know. So really, my goal is I, I create people that are so good at what they do, they move on, but they want to they want to keep that relationship so much so they add me to their board, they give me shares in their company, whatever. Wow. You know, whatever. Wow. So that is an amazing perspective, right? Because then you don't get emotionally attached because you already set your mind your heart on exactly how it's going to work. Well, imagine a work environment where the person shows up and tells you about what their passion project is. You're giving them good ideas for it. You're talking about the timeline. Like, hey, where are we at with this? I'm like, I get to lose you in six months or two yeah. years, right? Yeah. And instead of somebody showing up to work, hiding what they really want to do, and you know their boss acting like there's really nothing else they want to do, and they're just having that fake relationship, I don't do that. You know, once either once every couple of weeks or once a month, each person in the team, we're going out to lunch or we're going out to dinner. I'm like, all right, what's the big dream? Where are you at with it? Yeah. You know, and I'm figuring out the timeline right. of when when and how to incubate them out, when and when and how to replace them, where are they at in the journey? It's it's completely out in the open. It's completely authentic. And I want to be respectful of your time because I know yeah. we have meetings and stuff like that. I'm gonna. It's a, it's a date actually. It's a, a date. date. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love well, thank it. you. That was sweet yeah, you, you know, I don't want to put your business on it. <laughs> Perfect. So it's a date, right? But my question is, so what's your sense on loyalty then? Um, okay, I think loyalty is defined on, on following through on the mutual expectations. 
of what was what was agreed to. Mm-hmm. So if you've all agreed to certain expectations or, 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 or a way of being, and you both um, follow that and stand up right. to that, then that's loyal. Right. Doesn't mean that um, either of you might not move on. Right. Right. There's still in you know in, in the traditional business model that I'm in, I have to let people go. I don't lack loyalty. It was here were the expectations. We didn't meet those expectations. Would you hold on to your best friend even though they're not producing and they're working for your company? That's a tough one, man. Um, would I hold on to my best friend? I would try to find a role that suited them uh, better than the role they were in. Okay. Yeah. And let's just say they're still failing in that role. And you love them. You're loyal um, to them. I think because of the culture that I have, they'd find their own way out. Interesting. Okay. The culture would push them out. Right. They'd be uncomfortable. Right. Right. Okay. Now you're part of a high value men's circle, right? I see you post all the time of very successful people. Yeah. And there was a comment you made. It was a brotherhood. Yeah. Right. What does brotherhood means to you? Um, trust, uh, the ability to call on someone at any time or whatever it may be. Right. Um, I think that's probably the, the main one. Like, I can count on you. Right. right. And you don't have to be together working on the same project. No, we're not. Right. Everyone you saw, yeah. uh, uh, in the, there's, a, there's a group of 20, and I don't work with any of them. Right. I have one of them. We've invested in the same project. One of them, since the point that I activated that, uh, uh, that, that group that I have, has actually joined the team uh, mm-hmm. as an executive. Um, but the rest of them, it's just great friends and just great network and I can count on them and they can count on me. And what I like most about when we do a monthly dinner is I'm not being pitched anything. I'm not having to, to act like, you know, I don't have to have to put on the business face. It's just joy, you know? Wow. Sharing of ideas and what they're working on, what they're, but it's, there's, there's no pitching. There's no sell. We're not selling. We're not, I'm not worried about, like, they're going to ask me for money. It's just like having a good time. Amazing. I have one last question for you. Um, let's just say you're talking to another Nick, okay. an 18-year-old Nick who wants to not be average, who wants to you know, go in and become elite, want to become you know, successful, want to change their life. What advice would you give to that person? So I'm, I'm going to look at the, the Nick over here. Perfect. All right. So if you are young and hungry and you know you're special, um, I always knew. I always knew as a kid that there was something inside of me. I knew I was different. Um, I remember when I was four years old, preschool, um, convincing everyone in the class to get on the merry-go-round so I could push it. Uh, and just things like that, like little signs of leadership. So if you know that there, there's something like big meant for you, um, my advice for you after going and sacrificing everything from age 20 to 30, and I mean everything, I worked hundred hours a week. And if it didn't either feed my mind, my body, or my bank account, I didn't touch it. Wow. I didn't even spend a second on it, right? And people ask me, what would you do differently? I would have gone harder, faster. Wow. I would have gone harder, faster. And well, how, how's that even possible? You sacrifice everything. Nah, man, if you're, if you're real critical about yourself, you know, when you look at a guy like Kobe, yeah. Yeah. When, when, when Kobe's done with the game and he scored 50 points, what part of the stat sheet do you think he looks at? Turnovers. Yeah, turnover, yeah. Yeah. Turnovers or mistakes, some missed free throws. Right. Right. 
He doesn't go, look at I scored 50 and I'm this. And He's I'm the that. biggest critic of himself. He looks at it and goes, fucking missed two free throws. I had three turnovers. Right. That's, he maximizer. Right. So I'm a maximizer of time, especially back then. And I'm like, I could think of hours in a day that I could have done better every single day. And if I could give any advice to anyone out there that's young, hungry, wants to go do it, go harder. I would have gone harder and would have gone faster. Sacrifice all of it. Everything. Four years, five years. Why not? Because you're going to be 23. And guess what? That's perfectly acceptable to be 23 and, and trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. Go after everything you can right now. Sacrifice it all. Wow. Nick, thank you so much. For My pleasure, brother. My pleasure. Thank you. Great thank interview. You.